Praise God. Well, thank you. Um, I'm honored. I'm honored to do it. Um, I recall, I mean, Chip Brim called it, you know, being a little delivery boy. <clears throat> My job's just to bring it hot, fresh, and on time, right? And it's the Lord's job to do the work. So <clears throat> I'd like to teach out of the book of Joshua tonight. Uh, the Lord had me read through the book a couple months back, and uh, he pointed out a few things that I thought were very interesting. <clears throat> I'd originally thought it was just for me and my family. I mean, not everything the Lord tells you is something to share with everybody else, right? But the more I prayed about it, the more I thought about it, the more I realized it was also for our church family. And then when Eugene asked me if I would teach tonight, I knew, I knew what the Lord would have me bring. So I believe with all my heart that this is a word from the Lord for tonight, and, uh, and I'm excited about it. All right, so we'll see if I can cram all this into about 40 minutes here. <clears throat> Before we jump in, I'd like to kind of set the scene. Um, <clears throat> so put yourself in Joshua's shoes for a few minutes. I want you to really picture it in your mind. And if you need to close your eyes and see it as I kind of talk through a couple of these points, that might be helpful. <clears throat> but you are Joshua. Up until the time you were around 30 years old, give or take 10 years, the Bible doesn't really tell us how old Joshua was at the time, but we know he was at least 20 years old or older before they started wandering the wilderness for 40 years, right? <clears throat> so up until the time you were around 30 years old, give or take 10 years, you were a slave in Egypt. That's how you grew up. You personally... Um, You personally saw and experienced all the events surrounding Moses and the Pharaoh and the exodus of Israelites from Egypt. You traveled to Mount Sinai and met the Lord there while Moses received the Ten Commandments. And what a sight that must have been, an entire mountain on fire with the glory of the Lord. I don't know if I'd be excited or if I'd be trembling with fear but it would be an intense emotional reaction. <clears throat> From Sinai, you travel to Kadesh Barnea, and this is the place where Moses sends out the 12 spies to check out the land of Canaan, <clears throat> um, also known as the Promised Land. You, Caleb, and 10 other guys, who are actually listed in Numbers 13, <clears throat> but nobody really remembers their names, <laughs> um, the 12 of you go to spy out the land. And you do that for 40 days. Only you and Caleb actually believe that you can possess it, while the other 10 spies are afraid. They bring back a bad report. <clears throat> and they convince the people that it's impossible. I'll take a little side, little rabbit trail here. Would you pull up numbers 1, 45 through 46? And the NLT, please. <clears throat> so at the beginning of the book of Numbers, they take a registry of all of the people, all of the Israelites that were in the, uh, in the wilderness. So they were registered by families, all the men of Israel who were 20 years old or older and able to go to war. The total number was 603,550. And that was 
able-bodied men. That wasn't counting women, children, um, just men that were 20 or older. <clears throat> the 10 guys that brought back the bad report are responsible for the death of those men. And that's not counting women, so we're talking somewhere around a million people. And that's a pretty sobering thought. And I want to submit this to you. Your attitude, your ability to trust and walk with God, and the people in your sphere of influence matter. It is important. How you approach life matters. How you approach your people in your world matters. Each of those 10 men had about 100,000 people that they had influence over. Now, you might not have influence over that number of people, but even if you have influence over one, that life matters. Amen? <clears throat> All right, back to Joshua. So you spend the next 38 years, after they bring this bad report back, you spend the next 38 years wandering the wilderness, waiting for everyone who was 20 years old or over to die. <clears throat> because... They weren't allowed in. <clears throat> Except you and Caleb, of course. You finally make it back to Canaan after that 38 years. Moses steps over into heaven, and you take his position as leader of the nation, somewhere around 60 to 80 years old. See, this is where Joshua finds himself at the beginning of the book. <clears throat> This is where many of us find ourselves at this point in time, right at the edge of something great that's about to happen. This is the season many of us are in individually. This is the season that we are in as a church. Your mission, Joshua, is to kill the giants and take the land. Simple, not complicated, but not easy. <clears throat> and the Lord showed me four things. If you're going to go kill giants and take land, the Lord showed me four things that are important to know before you go. And I don't know if Joshua wished he had this list or not, but here it is. <laughs> Number one, it is impossible without God. We're going to skip the first couple of chapters and start in Joshua 6. <clears throat> See if I can get enough room up here. So Joshua 6 is, a is the story of Jericho and, and how Jericho falls. At the beginning, God comes. He tells Joshua exactly how to take the city, exactly what he's supposed to do, very specific instructions. <clears throat> And he commands that everything be completely destroyed with the exception of Rahab and her family because she helped the spies when they came to Jericho the first time. She hid them in their house, let them out through the wall. They got back unharmed. And that was their deal. So Israel obeys. They follow directions. Jericho falls just like it's supposed to. Um, so far, so good. But at the beginning of Joshua 7, we learn a little secret. We learn that Achan stole some of the things that were supposed to be committed to the Lord. Yes. 
<clears throat> when Israel moves in to attack the next town, Ai, they are completely defeated. It should have been an easy victory, and they are completely wiped out. <clears throat> Let's go to Joshua 7, verse 13. This is the Lord speaking. He says, get up, command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. That's what the Lord said. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. Now the Lord does not lie, cannot lie. Never means never. And I thought that was interesting. Never defeat your enemies. It had nothing to do with their ability. It had nothing to do with their military prowess or their skills. They could have had a million more people and it wouldn't have mattered. As long as Achan had those stolen things, had that disobedience in his tent, they would not defeat their enemy. It had everything to do with honoring God. In the natural, they weren't able to take the land. It was impossible. It had to be supernatural. And I want you to hear this tonight. There are things that God is calling you to do in your life that are impossible without him. That's the truth for every single person on this planet. Taking hold of God's promises is a supernatural thing. His promises by nature are supernatural. See, this word supersedes the laws of this physical world. This word is supernatural. Much like the law of lift supersedes the law of gravity. It doesn't ignore the laws in this world, but it supersedes it, it overcomes it. So of course you can't do what's impossible without God. Of course you can't do those things in the natural. It is impossible. It looks impossible because it is impossible. We need to understand that God actually designed taking the land to be impossible without him. He wants it that way. And you know, our flesh kind of cringes at that a little bit, and maybe that question comes up, why? So he can control our lives? So he can sit on top of the world and and move the chess pieces around? No, not so that he can control our lives, but so he can elevate our lives. Isaiah 55, verse 9. I think I forgot to give you that one. But it says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And he's not mocking the people. He's trying to elevate them. He's trying to say, you're natural. If you stay there, it's going to be okay, but it's not going to be what it could be. Even, Even billionaires in our world today, God can make them trillionaires. What could the kingdom of God do with that kind of money? If those people would operate in their supernatural giftings, in their supernatural calling, operate in the impossible with God, that's the kind of thing that changes the world. So God wants it that way. So standing at the edge of the the land, looking at the giants and the task in front of us, We shouldn't be so surprised, so shocked by how it looks. Oftentimes we are, just like those other ten spies. 
we find ourselves in those same shoes many times. <clears throat> but we must change the way we see it. We have to change our perspective. <clears throat> we need to see it from heaven's perspective, not from earth's perspective. See, God is trying to bless us, not belittle us. He wants to elevate us, not control us. Amen? <clears throat> so number one, it's impossible without God. Number two, obedience is critical. In the second half of chapter 7 in Joshua, <clears throat> Achan's sin is discovered. They figure out who it is. He confesses. He tells them where it's hiding. They go and they find it buried underneath his tent. And then he and his family are killed. In the Old Testament, people didn't mess around <laughs> with sin. You were, if you sinned and they found you out, they stoned you and your family to death. <clears throat> in Joshua 8, 1 through 2, We'll go ahead and read that. The Lord, then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid or discouraged. Take all your fighting men and attack Ai. So they've taken care of Achan's disobedience, and now, now it's God saying, Go back. You're going you're gonna to take Ai. I have given you the king of Ai and his people, his town and his land. You will destroy them as you destroy Jericho and its king. But this time, you may keep the plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the town. See, God wasn't trying to keep things from the Israelites by not letting them have anything from Jericho. He was trying to get something to them. But it required Jericho as a tithe. And I don't know if you were able to tune in to that series that, that we showed on Wednesday nights from Robert Morris, but he taught on that a little bit. <coughs> See, tithing invites God into your situation. When we tithe with our finances, it invites God into our finances so that supernatural things can now happen. We come underneath his umbrella of blessing in our finances. And if you're not a tither, you are missing out. I'm telling you, you're missing out. You can't afford not to tithe. But Jericho was also a tithe. God wanted them to have all of the plunder of Canaan. But he couldn't give it to them without them inviting him into their mission. And it took Jericho as a tithe to do that. <clears throat> and that's why it was so critical that, that Achan disobeyed. Why it was so important for everybody to listen and obey to that. Because God was trying to get things to them. Achan couldn't see that. He was so focused on what was in front of him. He was so focused on his own needs and his own wants. He couldn't see what God was trying to do down the road. <clears throat> His perspective was all wrong. He didn't trust God. He thought God didn't want him to have things, and it cost him everything and his family. And that's just how selfishness, jealousy, and envy are. They're nearsighted. <clears throat> They're so nearsighted, all you can see is yourself. You know, I wear contact lenses, <clears throat> and I remember in fifth grade, I had my first eye examination. And as a fifth grader, you're not super aware of stuff, right? <laughs> you're just kind of going about your life and going to school, and I'm sure the teacher saw me in the class like this, you know? 
<clears throat> but I didn't know. I just, I just thought I was normal. I didn't know I had a vision problem. <clears throat> so they bring everybody out into the hallway, you know, and they've got some eye doctor set up at the end of the hallway with the sign, you know, and you're supposed to read the lines and come to find out I'm nearsighted. <clears throat> As a fifth grader, that was news to me. I didn't know what that was. <clears throat> but that's exactly how selfishness, jealousy, and envy are. See, when you're nearsighted, you can't see things far away clearly. You can only see right here clearly. And when you're focused on yourself and not on what God is doing, that's all you can see. We have to have the vision to see more of the big picture, to see down the road, to see what God is doing, what he's up to, not just what we're experiencing in this moment. <clears throat> and that focus will help you ride out the waves that come. So number one, it's impossible without God. Number two, um, <clears throat> obedience is critical. Number three, consult the Lord about every decision along the way. Let's go to Joshua chapter nine. I'm gonna read a short passage here. <clears throat> Verse one through 16. Now all the kings west of the Jordan River heard about what had happened. These were the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Parasites. How would you like to be a parasite? Hivites, Jebusites, who lived in the hill country in the western foothills and along the coast of the Mediterranean, as far north as the Lebanon mountains. These kings combined their armies to fight as one against Joshua and the Israelites. But the people of Gideon, Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai. They resorted to deception to save themselves. They sent ambassadors to Joshua, loading their donkeys with weathered saddlebags, old patched wineskins. They put on worn out patched sandals and ragged clothes. And the bread they took with them was dry and moldy. When they arrived at the camp of Israel in Gilgal, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant land to ask you to make a peace treaty with us. That was a lie, they were scared. They weren't from far away, they were right there. <clears throat> the Israelites replied to the Hivites, how do we know you don't live nearby? For if you do, we cannot make a treaty with you. That was God's command to them. Don't make a treaty with this people. This land is your land, you are to wipe them out and move in. <clears throat> and they replied, we are your servants. But who are you, Joshua demanded. Where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a distant country. We have heard of the might of the Lord your God and of all he did in Egypt. We have also heard what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, King Sihon of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all our people instructed us, take supplies for a long journey, go meet with the people of Israel and tell them, we are your servants, please make a treaty with us. This bread was hot from the ovens when we left our homes, but now as you can see it is dry and moldy. These wineskins were new when we filled them, but now they are old and split open. And our clothing and sandals are worn out from our very long journey. So the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety, and the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with the binding oath. Genius. Genius. <laughs> 
Instead of getting slaughtered by Israel, which they knew was going to happen, they make this treaty by lying. But I want to focus on that part in verse 14. It says, they did not consult the Lord. The Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. See, they only looked at the natural evidence, <clears throat> the things they could see and understand with their eyes, their physical eyes. <clears throat> God would have revealed the truth, but they didn't ask him. Let's look at John chapter 16. Verse 13 through 14. This is Jesus speaking. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. That's available to you and I if we seek the Lord. He will guide us into all truth. He is the spirit of truth. See, just like with the Gibeonites and Joshua, Satan would love to derail us from the path that God has us on. We must remain tuned in to the spirit of truth if we are to experience everything God has for us. Consult the Lord about every decision along the way. Remember, we're killing giants, we're taking land. Number four. And maybe the most important key to the whole thing. Do the work. See, God's job is the supernatural part. But that doesn't mean we don't have a job. Our job is the natural part. Let's look at Joshua 11, 4 through 9. All these kings came out to fight. Let me back up here a second. There's these kings of these northern armies, these northern kingdoms, and they've all gathered together. Joshua's already defeated a bunch of kings and kingdoms. And now these northern kings said, we better, we better group up here. We better um, ally or, or we're going to be wiped out too. So all these kings came out to fight. Their com- the combined armies formed a vast horde. And with all their horses and chariots, they covered the landscape like the sand on the seashore. Their kings joined forces and established the camp around the water near Merim to fight against Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. By this time tomorrow, I will hand all of them over to Israel as dead men. Then you must cripple the horses and burn their chariots. So Joshua and all his fighting men traveled to the water near Merim and attacked suddenly. And the Lord gave them victory over their enemies. The Israelites chased them as far as the greater Sidon and Mesrephath, Maim, and eastward into the valley of Mizpah until not one enemy warrior was left alive. Then Joshua crippled the horses and burned all the chariots as the Lord had instructed. The Lord said, by this time tomorrow, I will hand all of them over to Israel as dead men. And he did that. But I want to, if this was me in that situation, that's probably not how it would have worked out. <clears throat> See, this was, this was a word from the Lord, right? Directly from God. This time tomorrow, they'll be dead. How many of us would have just sat on our hands and waited for it to happen? And you see it 
especially in faith circles a lot, you see kind of the process. You get a word that you know is from God, even backed up by scripture. You trust God and you fully expect that he'll do what he said he was going to do. You fully expect it to happen. <clears throat> so you go on about your day thinking that thing was going to be taken care of. You don't get in fear over it. You don't get in worry about it. You just move on and expect it to be taken care of. That's not what Joshua did. He understood something about partnering with God that escapes us a lot of times. We must actually do the work and trust God with the results. God said, by this time tomorrow, they're going to be dead. And Joshua said, okay, I'm going to get my sword. He didn't just sit down and have a party and camp that night and said, okay, boys, let's just go pick up all the plunder tomorrow. <clears throat> he went and he fought. And they, they found victory. See, we are the body of Christ. The head tells the body what to do, and the body does the doing, right? We have a job. We have a role to play. There was a time um, a few years ago we, uh, <coughs> we were driving a Ford Taurus. And it was a great little car. Uh, a ton of miles on it, and the transmission finally blew. And uh, <coughs> we had some savings in the bank. And um, first thing we did right was consult the Lord and say, okay, God, we've got some savings. What do you want us to do? What do you want us to buy? Where do you want us to look? I mean, all that, all that kind of stuff. And we were just praying about it. And we really felt like the Lord told us, I'll take care of this. Don't buy anything. We're living in Goodwill at the time. I was working... Um, I was working over in Hooker. Faith was working for the town of Goodwill. Uh, we needed two vehicles. It was not easy to get by on one. But we were obedient. I said, okay, Lord, we don't have peace about going out and buying something, so we're, we're just going to listen. So we go on like that for a week or two, maybe. And um, Pastor Charlie is up here one Sunday morning preaching a message and um, really lining up with kind of where we're at in that situation. And they open up for prayer at the end, and Faith and I come up. And he and Pastor Margaret lay hands on us and pray for us, and, and he has this vision. He sees our vehicle that God's going to provide for us in a garage, well-kept, ready. <clears throat> and we're like, all right, praise God. Like, that's awesome. You know, we're on the right track. Um, God's, God's going to bring it to pass. So we go on about our day. You know, and we go another couple of weeks, maybe another three or four weeks. <clears throat> in that time frame, we get a phone call from some friends in Lubbock. They are buying a new car, trading in their old one, high miles on their old one. Um, it was a, a 2002 Ford Explorer. I think it had like 217,000 miles on it. So for a trade-in, they were only going to get like 1000 bucks, <clears throat> which is not chump change. But they just decided in their hearts that they wanted to give this car to somebody. It would bless them more to give this car to somebody than to have that $1,000 trade-in. <clears throat> so they call us. They knew that our Taurus had broken. It actually broke when we were in Lubbock visiting them. And uh, the conversation went something like, oh, man, that's really cool of you guys. Uh, you know, God's, we've been praying about it. God said he's already provided a vehicle for us. And... Uh, 
you know, maybe we'll keep our ear open if, if maybe there's a youth kid or something that, that's going to turn 16 and might need a vehicle, you know, and um, you're saying it out loud, it sounds really dumb, <laughs> right? <laughs> but that's what we did. We were trying to make this other thing happen apart from God, and he was trying to do it a different way than we had seen it in our mind, and we almost missed it. And about a week later, we came to our senses and we said, Lord, forgive us. That's our car. That's our explorer. Yes, we called them back. We'll take it. You know, hallelujah. But we have a role to play in that story. If we just would have sat idly by and waited for that car to pull up in our driveway, it would have never happened. We would have missed it completely. Now, our role was pretty minuscule in that. We had to accept it, go to Lubbock and pick it up. But we had a role to play. God does the supernatural, we do the natural. Amen? I've got one more verse I want to read. Joshua 21, 45. And just to review, it's impossible without God, number one. Number two, obedience is critical. Number three, consult the Lord about every decision along the way. And number four, anybody? Do the work, do your part, amen. So Joshua 21, 45. <clears throat> this is at the end of the campaign, um, near the end of Joshua's life. And the Bible says this, not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Not a single one. Everything he had spoken came true. Hallelujah. See, without God, it's impossible. With God, it's overwhelming victory. That's what's available to us. That's what's waiting up beyond the edge that we're standing on in this season, looking out over, over the promises that we're embracing to take the promises that we're maybe actively taking i don't know where you're at exactly in your life maybe you're in the middle of taking land maybe you're standing on the edge looking out over something that seems so impossible but you know god is asking you to do it and i just want to remind you with god it is overwhelming victory it's supposed to be impossible without him of course it looks impossible it is but not with him I want to close with this one thought. See, noticeably missing from Scripture at the beginning of the book of Joshua is a conversation between God and Joshua that in my mind should have gone something like this. Hey, Josh, I have a massive project for you that's going to take several years. It's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. I know you grew up a slave in Egypt and wandered the wilderness for the last 40 years, but this one is going to take the cake. In fact, it's going to look and sound completely impossible pretty much the entire time. (laughs) You will lose some good men, and it will take everything you have to see it through. But in the end, it's going to turn out great. And it'll be completely worth all of the effort and sacrifice. 
oh, and here are these four things you need to know about killing giants and taking land. Write these down. That conversation never happened. Why? God's not just dangling Joshua out there to suffer. It didn't need to happen. God made Joshua to do this. God had full confidence in Joshua's ability to get it done because he knew what he created Joshua to do. He knew what he had put inside of Joshua to do. And if you don't get anything else out of this tonight, get this. Everything you need to be successful in what God has called you to do is already inside of you. And not in some woo-woo, you-are-your-own-God kind of way. No, quite the opposite. It's because the Holy Spirit lives in you. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, We are the temple of the living God. 1 John 4.4 says, Greater is he who lives in me than he who lives in the world. The greater one lives in here. It's not because of me that I can go out and take the land. I can't do it. But him in me can do it. And when you take that attitude and that stance and that authority against the devil, there's nothing that will be impossible for you. Absolutely nothing. The greater one. Did Joshua make mistakes? Of course. But he didn't let them define him or stop him. And neither will we. Amen. It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.